Welcome back to Statement Piece. We've had a little bit of a break, but we're back to give you one more episode. Yes, today we have Annalise Hillman and Nick Bunn, who are the co-founders of Frontman, an amazing skincare brand for men. Yes, it's definitely in the market of normalizing makeup for men. But first, we'll start with some current events. So starting off with a business current event, um, everything within Facebook's domain, including Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, were all down the other day. And it's interesting because it brought down uh, Mark Zuckerberg's net worth, I think about a couple was a billion. So he kind of lowered in the ranks of world's richest men. Another notable event this week is on October 4th, a bunch of news outlets announced that Hollywood's backstage union workers voted to authorize an industry-wide strike. This vote comes after months of failed discussions between the leaders of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents major film and television production companies. Overall, they're advocating for better hours, better workplace conditions, and improved benefits. And in regards to the fashion world, it recently was New York Fashion Week, followed by Paris and then Milan. And it was interesting because Balenciaga has worked for a year to create a fashion show based in the show Simpsons. Homer Simpson writes to Balenciaga for Marge's birthday, explaining that Marge has always wanted to own something by the brand. The episode definitely sparked a lot of discussion on how big fashion houses can be more creative on presenting their new collections. Our last event is about Squid Game. Everyone knows that it's obviously the number one show in the world right now. Uh, Almost everyone I know has heard about it or everyone I know has heard about it almost everyone I know has watched it and watched it in the day and I have been reading a lot of interesting commentary on it not only the fact that it's mostly social commentary related to income inequality and debt but it also speaks to an issue that is rampant in Korea in particular debt and the never-ending struggle to pay it off a an assistant professor of Korean and East Asian studies at Busan National University in Busan, South Korea, commented, Koreans love to be number one, but number one at the cost of airing your dirty laundry, somewhat of a different thing. There's this dissonance between Korean pride and this Korean show is dominating Netflix all over the world and the discomfort with what the show appears to expose about Korea, which is interesting. Yeah, it's also interesting to see that literally every type of person from all demographics and interests are all watching the show and are a fan. All right. Well, let's move on to the episode. Yay. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having us. First time on a podcast. So I'm Annalise. Um, Nick and I actually met on campus at Harvard as undergrads. So I was a sophomore and Nick was a junior. Um, And we actually met founding a Gen Z ad agency on campus, um, which was a really interesting thing for us because we got to essentially pitch to all these big brands and and do partnerships and figure out how to activate campuses um, and and really sort of translate for these big brands into Gen Z, (laughs) which is, you know, our generations. And sort of in the midst of that, we were literally having lunch one day <laughs> in like our favorite cafe. Nick was like, oh, I'm so jealous. Women never get acne. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Young Nick, unknowledgeable Nick. We're learning. We're getting better. Okay. Very young. Yeah, exactly. 
And so we like, we kind of realized together that, you know, we had very different experiences growing up, um, learning about things like grooming, self-care, skincare, all of that kind of stuff, partly too, because my mom's a dermatologist. So I kind of, you know, had more than, more than the basic skincare knowledge from her. And I got to college and, and realized that I had to teach my guy friends the difference between shampoo and conditioner. And, you know, that's <laughs> sort of the level that we were at. Um, and so we kind of realized that this, this grooming gap existed and there aren't a lot of products available for guys as immediate solutions, specifically when acne comes up, you know, and as a, as a girl, I can wake up and if I have, you know, zits, I can cover them. I can do a million things, um, you know, to make myself feel a little bit better, to feel confident. Um, and a lot of guys don't have that option right now. So we set out to create it. Um, and we spent two years essentially figuring out the whole process of, you know, what is product development? Who makes this? Like, where does one actually begin to, to create a product like this? Um, and we spent two years developing our first product, which is Frontman Fade, an acne fader that um, both covers um, in seconds and treats all day with um, dermatologist approved ingredients. So salicylic acid is the active one that really works to fight um, any zits that you might have. Uh, and then there's a few other natural extracts in there working as well to um, really break down the bacteria and, and essentially cleanse the pores. So that is the product that we created and it's in four shades now, hopefully expanding soon. Um, and um, that's the one that we launched actually this past month, um, which has been an insane process for us, just actually getting this into guys' hands. Um, and seeing, you know, what kind of reaction they've had to it, which has been overwhelmingly positive and really just like blowing their minds. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we're at. And um, yeah, we've been on this founder journey for, for two years now. And now we're sort of at the peak of, you know, scaling up and growing and, and being a real brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's the story behind the name? So actually, um, you know, when we were thinking about how to create a brand um, that would sort of sit in the skincare and cosmetics realm, we sort of took inspiration from a lot of the people from history, the front men of bands like you know, Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, who were very much at the forefront of pushing boundaries and like being a little out there and being themselves. Um, and we love that kind of attitude. And so that's where a lot of the, the inspiration for the brand comes from. We think that everyone should have, you know, the choice to look and feel as confident um, as they want to. And so that's why we, we take a lot of inspiration from the music industry and even creators today who are very much still pushing boundaries and, you know, being icons for um, self-expression and for self-acceptance. Yeah, I think there's, there's something that's so like, critically powerful about creators and especially musicians as these sort of like unique entities in life, right? I mean, it's like every single band, even though you're in the same genre, you're in the same whatever else, right? You're you're kind of reinventing and recreating yourself and your vision every time you perform. And so we really like that similarity between kind of how might a musician or how might a front man in that, in a more kind of traditional sense, approach that and how someone approaches, you know, every day when you get out of bed in the morning, how you're attacking life, how you're going about things. Um, and then also just, I think this, this idea of almost like a leader and a front man rather than sort of like a band, it's this idea of like being in the spotlight and trying to be the one that's really pushing these boundaries and being okay. And 
and kind of owning that process of being able to sort of be in the spotlight and really own it and push things forward and really change culture. Right. Yeah. And one of our last episodes where we talked about men's beauty, um, we were reflecting a lot on Harry Styles and how he's kind of been a serious game changer in the space. And I think it's interesting because I think a lot of really kind of hetero, like cis guys, they always kind of express a sort of disdain or confusion as to why Harry Styles is so popular. But I think because he's more androgynous and things like that, um, he's kind of garnered that popularity and respect and kind of anti-patriarchal views. Um, So what are your guys' thoughts on him and pop culture? (laughs) Oh my God, we love Harry. We could not be more about Harry. (laughs) He's got a lot of respect for just the fact that, I think he was on the cover of Vogue in a dress and like, you know, people made a big deal out of it because I, you know, it's still a little bit of a stigmatized thing where, you know, culture is still a little bit drawing boundaries around, you know, what genders can and cannot do. Um, but we do feel like things are changing and it's very sort of palpable when you go on like TikTok and you, you know, spend time with like our generation and it's like, oh, like a lot of them like don't really care about, you know, like standard labels and like things like that and and stereotypes and so um we love that energy and the fact that things are kind of moving in this direction yeah yeah definitely so speaking more about your company how did you go about conducting all of the research required to kind of create the product what you wanted the product to be sourcing the materials, the design of the packaging, all of those things, every step along the way to make it <laughs> what it is now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a, a long, fun journey. Um, so like we, we obviously started this as college students and had like no idea really where to start. <laughs> um, I think like figuring out product development was probably the hardest hurdle for us. Um, we, from the very beginning, had a very strong sense of of brand and an understanding of how to, you know, create a a marketing strategy for something like this. So that wasn't the hard part for us. It was really, you know, like where to start actually creating a product. Um, And that was just like a whole process of doing a lot of market research, finding out where the labs are, what the best ones are, um, figuring out, you know, like what even testing procedures we'd have to go through for something that is medicated, which it is. Um, But we thought that it would be, you know, really something that would pay off in the end because it's a product that's unlike anything else that's currently available, you know, for guys. And so um, we we really wanted to put in the time and energy (laughs) and blood, sweat and tears to to create something that was entirely new. which is, you know, I think something that's really set us apart from other people who have looked at this space and kind of just said, oh, let me like slap a brand onto something and like, you know, we'll call it for men, whatever. And that's, that's really not what we're about. We want to create actual solutions. I think the, the like key element here, and it was like when we were talking to guys about this initial idea, we were saying, you know, like, would you care for an immediate solution? Would you buy something that, you know, solves this as you get out of bed in the morning and what we kind of found was that function was really the key driver of like what we needed to do to get guys to get in on board with this product beyond just a kind of a brand and so going through more of a traditional white label as Annalise mentioned in in the van of let's take a concealer let's put in a black package whatever it is you know to make it 
guy friendly and, and kind of that world of things. It's, it's that we needed to develop something new that had a, a distinct function towards the problem we were trying to solve, right? And so knowing that we wanted to solve acne and knowing that we wanted to create that immediate solution for it, we couldn't just give guys a concealer. We needed to build a product that is function first, treating acne with a secondary benefit and you know maybe a more noticeable benefit of having that coverage element. And so I think that at the early stage is really what we wanted to build. And then it was just like trying to figure out and trying to execute against like, how do we actually now take this from something in our minds that, you know, feels relatively simple in a point of like concealer, active ingredients, whatever else, and make sure that it's stable, make sure that it has a shelf life, make sure that it fits a wide diverse range of change, all while trying to operate in the lens of, okay, minimum, excuse me, minimums for doing all this stuff is like massively high. Um, and, none of, and all these factories work with, you know, the seven major companies that own most of beauty. So a lot of kind of like small hurdles there of how do you go about this as a startup? Um, but again, just sort of like weaving our way through them and, and taking the time to do so and just building something that we think is dope and, and it works really well. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you were asking guys kind of some questions in the beginning to see whether or not this would be a product fit for them. What were the types of questions that you were asking and who were these group of men? Yeah, so we did like, we did surveys essentially with um, lots of guys in this sort of target demo, you know, Gen Z, um, looking at honestly like 14 to 26 even. Um, and we were asking them things like, you know, what products are you using? What are your, your biggest pain points? It's like when you get up and you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, what's the thing that stands out to you most that you feel insecure about, you wish you could have help with? Um, and time and time again, it was acne. It was you know, sudden breakouts that make you feel like you, you can't even control your own life. Like you can't control your face. You can't control anything. I think if anything from the past year has been emphasized, it's, it's probably that. Um, so we, you know, we really decided, okay, like we're gonna, we're gonna tackle acne and, and make something that is really a spot treatment that's effective. That's awesome. So I, I also know you mentioned kind of how there were there were really high minimums for your production process. Um, and I was speaking with Annalise about how you guys are VC backed. So how did you decide to kind of go about like looking at investments and investors um, as opposed to kind of bootstrapping it? And how did you learn about the VC space? VC is kind of a, a buzzword on Harvard's campus. So everyone's talking about it a little bit and everyone wants to to get into it. I think it's kind of like the cooler version of like regular finance now. So um, it was definitely in the air. I think like the reason that we you know decided to go the venture route was definitely um, because this whole inventory and R&D process um, requires like a lot of upfront capital. And so um, we knew that it was something that like we personally couldn't fund. <laughs> so we needed um, some investors. And so I literally went back and forth to New York like every weekend for like a month and a half, um, like from Boston to New York on buses to, to um, talk with a bunch of, you know, angel investors and, and VCs. And we ended up, you know, raising a small pre-seed round in order to fund this um, R&D and to really, you know, start building out what would be frontman as it is today. And you learn very quickly, essentially, how to tell the story, how to relate to people who, you know, are not in your target demo. Like we were talking to guys who were like 50, 60, 
um, we were talking to to other like female investors who had you know no um, idea like what that experience would be like for a guy and so it's it's definitely an exercise in storytelling and understanding you know how you can get across the bigger picture to them in a very very short amount of time <laughs> and I think one one other piece to add is that in the, the community like the connection piece I think grows as you continue to move along the journey so like when you start out it's really really cold and we were actually a part of a great group um, on Harvard's campus there was a whole class um, that was called Startup R&D and the whole process of it was basically kind of the small little incubator of 15 or so startups um, and so through kind of that class you start to develop some some early networking and, and that really kind of helps expand the web um, and so just it's one of those things that it, again it's sort of like exponential and how it goes of, of you do a little bit and that connects you to oh you know this isn't for me but I know xyz and then it's, you know, even more bus trips, but um, <laughs> I did, I did so many lunch club meetings. Like I was, I was doing like a lunch club meeting every week <laughs> um, for many, many months, um, but it works. I mean, like networking is kind of, is kind of how you have to do it. And, and so when it came to kind of looking at your R&D um, kind of on the ground, how did you guys go about making sure that things were like sustainable and ethical and things like that. <laughs> um, so we, we did a couple of like some research ourselves and we're trying to figure out and navigate sort of the landscape of manufacturers. We kind of understood that there's like two processes to this. There's like the actual liquid of what goes in the tube. And then there's like actually the tube itself and making sure we're trying to be ethical and sustainable and kind of all of those different realms. And so we did some stuff ourselves. What we realized very quickly is that getting our feet in the door without like a business line of credit, without like a proper established like company, without a lot of these things, a lot of the more like what we think of as, as MVPs or anything like that was actually really hard to do without sort of like a credible referral system. And so we ended up um, contracting and doing some work with Athena Beauty Group uh, in LA, um, who particularly sort of like walked us through the initial process of like, how do we even kick off? How do we start thinking about these? What are the questions to ask? What do we want to think about it? And through that kind of small little contracted work, we started to not only get contacts from them in terms of like who could be some of these suppliers and how could we start seeing samples, but also in just educating us from a fundamental point of like, okay, these are the standards we need to hit. We know that these types of things, you know, correlate to extra cost. Is that worth it? Is that not worth it? And for us, it was a case like, I guess, jumping back to sort of how we settled on a tube was that we ended up going with a tube that was fully biodegradable. It's made from sugarcane resin. And that for us was sort of a, a decision point of, you know, do we want to take an incremental cost to build a tube that is better for the environment? And again, knowing kind of what this consumer wants, knowing what we believe in, it was an absolute yes of a, of a decision, but it was in kind of sorting and navigating the land through that guide that really helped some of that initial process. Um, and the labs, are essentially, you kind of give them instructions in terms of what things you want or what things you want. They give you an array of options. And then it's sort of just some way of, of kid in a candy shop, but kid in like a thousand mile across the, you know, the world candy shop where you know, there's a, like four choices and you're choosing thousands of things. <laughs> so um, fun process overall, but definitely needed some, some navigating. So very thankful for that sort of like initial kickoff. And then we sort of got our way in the water and, and really got kind of into our groove of, of figuring things out and proceed from there. 
So thinking more so about the contents of your product, how did you decide on salicylic acid, not niacinamide or benzoyl peroxide, other um, acne yeah. medications like those? <laughs> For sure. So um, we actually, you know, called in the big guns, my mother, <laughs> <laughs> who is honestly like such a badass. She's a triple board certified dermatologist um, and study at the Mayo Clinic. She's, she's really great. And we pulled her in and essentially said, you know, help us, you know, answer these exact questions, like which of these, you know, key active ingredients do we want to go with? You know, what other ancillary ones do we want to have? Um, and she pointed us in, in the right direction. And we, you know, decided on sal acid. It's very effective. Um, it also has the added benefit that unlike benzoyl peroxide, it's not going to stain any of your towels and that kind of thing. It's not bleaching. Um, it's not too strong on some, you know, skin types. So we, we picked salicylic acid, um, given that it has that great track record and, um, not as many downsides. Um, and, you know, with the, with the added extracts, we were going through the medical journals, <laughs> essentially reading all the literature on, you know, what works and what doesn't. And, um, what could have you know the, the added benefits of, of treating acne other than that sort of like key hero ingredient? So it was a lot of Mama Hillman <laughs> um, advisory, uh, which is honestly great. I, I love having her involved in, and working with her on this too. And then in regards to the shades that you picked, how did you decide on those specific shades? And then what's the plan for expanding the shade range in the future? Yeah, for sure. So we wanted to go, you know, pretty broad just so that, you know, we weren't excluding, you know, a whole segment of, of Americans. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen companies launch with like a few shades, but they're all at the lighter sort of end of the range. And I think that we wanted to at least get something that a lot of people could use. So we have four shades that are, are pretty, you know, diverse and we're adding more um, actively, you know, part of, um, the sort of growing pains of being a startup is that we have to sort of make inventory <laughs> decisions. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't feasible for us to launch with more than four, but um, it's honestly more than a lot of companies actually have um, for guys um, on the market right now. We wish we could have, you know, the, the 50,000 shades that they have. <laughs> What's, and so actually how we sort of structured it with the lab is we, we have a base sort of shade that is effectively the treatment aspect. And then adding incremental shades is sort of an easier process. So just in October, we were at um, a photo shoot in Brooklyn and, and we were trying to use one of our darkest shades on, on one of our models and we realized it wasn't dark enough. And so there was this moment of like, okay, this is like prime suspect. Like we immediately need to jump to a faster shade. And so we, we already have kind of that next level of darkness ready to go and kind of in sort of the works. Um, so that once we kind of have that inflow of capital, once we have the ability to sort of like place another order with this supplier, that we can already kind of quickly continue to expand. So what are the regulation and approval processes once you have the formulation kind of ready to go uh, so that you can then eventually sell these products, especially since it has an active ingredient in it? So there's basically the, it depends on kind of how, there's two processes moving forward in terms of like how you want to register with the FDA. Um, one of them follows a monograph, which is the, the route that we took, which is another kind of reason that we wanted to go with like a really simple, um, really known and, and well-researched product was that if you can kind of fall within the grounds 
of what the FDA rules as okay for generally any product. You don't need to do specific in-house FDA testing. You basically just need to submit your recipe and they, recipe is an interesting word for it, but basically your formula, <laughs> um, and they sort of review that and make sure that there's nothing that's gonna combine in sort of a weird way and that everything in terms of a saturation perspective is looking kind of okay and fine. And they give you the stamp of approval. Additionally with that is you basically have to do some stability testing that's you know high temperature, low temperature, high pressure, like all sorts of weird, like almost NASA like experiments on like your product um, that basically look at the, the longevity of the active ingredient as a treatment source. And so we had to do some of those processes in terms of giving us an, an expiration window and a period of time um, to which point that we could basically keep this on a shelf and have it still providing the same payout of an active ingredient that it would, you know, if it was the day out of the lab. Mm-hmm. So how long is the product stable for? Um, we're confirmed for, for two years. Oh, wow. That's good. That's really yeah. good. So it's great, you know, thinking about, you know, like business decisions and inventory and restocking and all of that, you know, definitely relevant for, for all of those. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I guess now thinking a little more um, expansive, how did you go about deciding on the branding and presenting the company to potential customers? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, it's an interesting, I guess, sort of, you know, puzzle to figure out how to present this to guys, Um, especially since it's such a new product. You know, we spent so long creating something that is really novel and that gives them that both treatment effect and coverage. So we were, you know, kind of trying to figure out the best way to present that and position that, you know, from a brand perspective. And so what we landed on is this very sort of straightforward, clear um, brand voice that very much kind of acts as like your more knowledgeable older brother (laughs) that kind of walks you through, you know, all of the ins and outs of skincare, really the basics that you need to know. Um, and just hands you everything um, on a silver platter, essentially. So um, that's a very sort of um, high level view of the, the brand voice. But what we've landed on is something that's almost has the, the ethos and, and um, vibrancy of a streetwear brand. Um, but, you know, just really speaks to our target consumer, um, presents it as it is. You know, we're pretty upfront and honest and we still also like to, to curse a fair amount <laughs> in advertising and and elsewhere. Um, and I think that like that gets across to people, you know, exactly who we are, what we stand for and why we, we made this. After looking at the website, honestly, this reminds me of like the men's version of Glossier. Mm. <laughs> you just like, made Annalise's like year with that scene. Like literally, <laughs> like just, I can feel it from all the way from over here, but literally, <laughs> I think yeah, we do. We take, we take a lot of inspiration from them generally, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're trying to obviously like we do want to you know they've done a really good job of of rising to success and really sort of like helping in in a lot of the similar ways. And so, um, and at least I'll let you speak to like branding cues and things like that. But yeah, it's a huge compliment. Um, it is <laughs> a big compliment. <laughs> um, yeah, we we definitely say that, um, especially like in the context of you know, investor conversations and things to give them sort of that um, anchor. Um, but it is really true. I mean, like they they were pioneering essentially no makeup, makeup and sort of that 
um, natural beauty space. Um, and we're coming in, you know, doing somewhat of a similar thing of pioneering um, this new category, this new message. Um, and it's really just that you should feel good first and look good second. And that's how we approach it. Yeah, I'm looking at the website. The branding is, it's definitely really smart. And also I was looking at the ultimate acne guide and I feel like I'm there's, so at that much, too. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much like accessibility expressed and kind of that older brother vibe. Like even the fact that you have a number provided where people can text for tips and little like, oh, this is only six that minutes. That me. If you want to text okay. me, I can, give, I can give you my number. That's normal. That's just that's <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So yeah have, you, have you gotten texts? Yeah. So oh we God. have, we have a whole flow, like, that is basically how we really want to run our customer service as a company. It's like, we're in this digital age where like you want quick responses and you mm -hmm. also just like, you know, the length of customer service doesn't need to be so extensive. And this is something that, you know, touches on the acne guide as well is like, we want to give you fast facts and facts sort of understanding of, of how acne works, how our products work, this entire piece, rather than giving you the like SEO driven long, you know, blog article that you're not really going to read that has the answer at the bottom to, you know, try to get you to scroll longer. Like we, I think in some ways really, really want to pull, not pull the authority that comes from of a more scientific approach to skincare, to acne, to that world, but pull some of the like length and denseness from it and gives it to you in a language that you really understand. I mean, that was one of the reasons that we invented and kind of came to with the acne guide it was just you know acne at its core is something that should be able to like kind of understand how it works how to prevent it how to go about treating it in a better way and yet it's still this like really confusing like landscape and so a lot of what we're trying to do is really just try to simplify things uh, and kind of go through it from there Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about kind of how most of my friends approach it. I feel like the usual answer is just go on Accutane and then you're just like are <laughs> yep. dehydrated for months. <laughs> but yeah. Accutane is a harsh drug, you know, like I yeah, think a lot of people don't realize like how much of a toll your body goes through as the product is available to customers. Have you had any backlash or people who aren't open to the idea of this product? Honestly, not a lot. <laughs> Um, I think it's pretty straightforward um, and it's not like you know we're not one of those you know old beauty brands that's like oh you like have to cover up and, like you have to do x y and z it's really just like giving you the option and the choice to have some control over your face you know and um, I think that that really has helped a lot of our customers you know just feel more confident and feel like they could you know go on do TikToks and take selfies and post them and um, be in Zooms and not be like self-conscious about um, their breakouts and that kind of thing. Um, so we haven't really seen a lot of backlash. And I think it's, I think it's because it's such a functional product. Do you always see the product as a direct-to-consumer uh, product or would you like it to see, be seen in stores one day? Um, how yeah you have goals <laughs> like what are the goals for the company yeah for sure so because there's this big like education piece for us to do you know there's a lot of work there as far as teaching guys what this even is and you know what this brand is and what this category is um so in that sort of context we'll be staying d2c um to really grow that customer base 
but eventually we do want to go into retail, we want to go abroad. Um, and so we see, you know, like a very cool big vision for this to be really like a global phenomenon and a global brand. Selfridges, here you come. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or what has been the most challenging part about working together and how have you mediated those issues if there have been any issues um because it's always you know like me and Catherine work together it's like we're best friends but you know everyone has different working styles and I guess you kind of like get used to those but I'd love to hear about your experiences so the like kind of nice thing was that because we had like founded that agency together we'd already like gone through the experience of like learning you know what our working dynamic is um and we really found that you know we had great like creative energy and we could bounce ideas back and forth with each other um and you know that's why we we thought it would be a great idea to to start a brand and be co-founders again um i think the 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 biggest things is probably you know just being able to kind of sense each other's you know like mood shifts and how to like cheer one up when the other one's down and kind of vice versa um and that's probably the biggest you know benefit of having a co-founder is really just like someone you can turn to and be like oh my god like everything's going to shit like I don't know what to do and they'll just be like it's okay we got this (laughs) yeah yeah I couldn't agree more that like happened earlier this week and so like it's very that's a very fresh thing but it's um I think it's like it's having that person that's definitely like this sort of like companion in the journey and and Annalise and I, I think are very like yin yang in terms of like our strengths and weaknesses sort of like perfectly aligned. Um, I think the like the the only bit that's like the interesting bit is sort of the like it's this realm of of giving constructive criticism in a way that like is beneficial for the company but is not detrimental to like a self you know care perspective or, or sort of anything like that and sort of separating out like we are very much very good friends. And so it's like having the balance of being able to sort of give that feedback without necessarily like being hurtful or harmful as you maybe could in, in the tradition or in sort of a setting where like your only relationship as two people were colleagues or anything like that. Yeah. So I think that's maybe the hardest part, but like, I mean, we do a really good job of it. And, and honestly, like, I'm always shocked that we don't like fight more, but like, <laughs> wouldn't have it any other way, like very happy, not wishing yeah. that on, on, on us, but um, yeah. definitely great having a companion I think it really helps the creative process and, and just helps the whole like journey in general and sharing mm-hmm. wins sharing losses like it's all just sort of like in it for the ride but yeah 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 I think Sija and I are similar um, I was listening to uh, how I built this episode on Dropbox and the founder of Dropbox was applying to YC and then um but you have to have a co-founder to be in YC. And so he I, like, I heard this one too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. Cause when he was talking to the like head of YC or someone senior there, um, he was just like, yeah, like you need the emotional support and you can't just like spiral when your company um, has a downturn. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. the biggest reason that like, there's like failure is like a, a quitting yeah. mechanism. Right. And yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. if there's someone, if there's someone to look you in the eye and go like, stop being an idiot dingus figure this out like we're fine like let's let's keep moving here right it's like that yeah i'm sure like prevents so much and so always always thankful at least 
um, that I have a co-founder as great as Emily is for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and joining us on Clubhouse. Um, well, yeah, thank you so much again for being on. It was so fun. And it's cool to like speak with like two co-founders because we haven't had, done a lot of episodes with um, more than one guest. So yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, really good to meet you. And hopefully yeah. after the pandemic, we can do a proper in-person meeting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll all get together in New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you to our guests for being on this week's episode. I think it's so cool to see people our age who are very young trying to break into the market and do something that hasn't been done before. And it reminds me of our episode with Zach where we're talking, we were talking about um, how can we make makeup more approachable and accessible to men. And I think from man is exactly doing that. For sure. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Did he do, did he do? Hey.